the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're looking at the business of farming and the challenges around rising input costs, increasing regulation and dealing with climate change. I'm joined by two young farmers in Munster who were involved in livestock and tillage farming. You'll hear them explain how farming has changed and modernised, the roller coaster nature of the sector that can deliver knockout profits one year and huge losses the next, and why the sector probably won't meet the emissions reductions target set for it by 2030. But I began by asking my two guests to introduce themselves to listeners. My name is Shane McAuliffe. I'm 33 years of age and I'm a pig farmer in County Kerry. We also have beef cattle and have tillage as well. Um, I also work as a lecturer in MTU and I also do some advisory and consultancy into sustainable livestock production systems. Main concerns for our business is the uh, cost of inputs. So feed accounts for about 80% of the cost of producing a pig. And also, of course, the price that we get for selling our pigs also has a huge impact on our margins. My name is Rob Coleman. Um, I'm coming to you from Castle Magna in North Cork. Um, I'm a tillage farmer mostly. Myself and my father, Billy, farm here um, out in mostly cow country. There's an awful lot of dairy cows around us. Um, we also have some uh, calf, to, or calf to beef enterprise and we have some sheep as well. Um, the uh, the grain farm has evolved from what was traditionally a plow-based system back in the 90s. Uh, that moved towards minimum tillage and we're kind of going towards less and less tillage to some no-till. We like cover crops. We like um, some of the environmental elements of farming. But it first and foremost has to be a business. So trying to find the balance between all those things is the current challenge. Um, looking forward to a chat. And thanks a million for, for having us on. Really appreciate it. Shane, you're 33 years of age. Uh, so a young man involved in farming. Uh, interesting that you decided to get into uh, farming as a, you know, as a lifestyle, as a uh, as your career. Uh, although I, you say you're also a lecturer and and you do some advisory work as well. So just wondering how much of your income, roughly speaking, would be from farming and how much from outside activities? Um, well, I suppose the farms are all set up as limited companies. Um, they're all standalone, separate farms, different limited companies. Um, myself, personally, I don't take any income from the farms. My income is all is all off farm. Um, uh, so, you know, in that way, I've kind of been protected against the you know, the real bad times that we've had recently, you know, um, that doesn't doesn't affect my own personal income that, that you know, gets me uh, through day-to-day living, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. Now, I know that the pandemic obviously had an impact uh, on your business. You've had Brexit as well. We've had the, the war in Ukraine and the sort of knock-on effects that has in, in terms of energy prices and so forth. Um, am I right in saying that uh, your, your losses... Um, uh, recently from the farming operation have uh, been in the region of 2 million euro? That would be right, yes. So accumulated losses, um, you know, for almost 18 months to to the end of last year would have been about 2 million euros. Um, There was a variety of different reasons for this. We saw the increased cost of living, so our input started to rise considerably. Um, As I mentioned, feed accounts for almost 80% of production costs. Feed absolutely spiraled out of control, and you know the the money that we were getting for our pigs, um, it, we were making a loss. So cumulatively, I think through last year and and the latter half of twenty twenty one, for every single pig we were selling, 
um, we were losing 25 euros on every single pig going out the gate. So that accumulated to a 2 million euro loss to the end of last year. Now, we are making profit at the moment, but it's going to take a long time. It'll take a few years to to fill that black hole from last year. Um, very, very difficult. We've seen the herd contract. Uh, we've 10% less pigs in the country than we had um, a year ago. And that's up until the, the latest pig census. So about 10% of farmers just completely went out of the pig business in Ireland. So uh, very, very difficult times. Very difficult times. How do you cover a loss of 2 million euro, Shane? Well, the thing about pigs is that you have lots of ups and downs. You'll have a few good years, you'll have a few bad years. And we had a record year in 2019 because African swine fever was rampant throughout China. China has half of the world's pigs. And so there was huge demand in in Asia for pork. So that drove our prices uh, up to almost two euros a kilo by the end of 2019. And that was just before COVID hit and before we started seeing increases in, in our outputs. So, um, we, you know, we, we had nice reserves from 2019, but I mean, they were very much eroded as we went through 2022. So there those uh, reserves are long gone. Shane, if you don't take any income from the farm, is this, is this uh, you know, without getting romantic about it, is this a, a labour of love or how much time do you spend on farming week to week? It can vary. Um, obviously, with lecturing, um, you know, the, I'm contracted to my hours of, of my timetable and, and consultancy and things like that. In the summer now, obviously, um, this summer, I've, I've had a lot more time to do some work on the farms. I was speaking at some different events abroad during the summer, but um, at the moment, spending a lot of time on farm. Um, but again, it's I don't know any different. You know, it's it's a it's a third generational um, farm. My grandfather set up uh, in pig farming in the late fifties, early sixties, and started growing then. And then when he died in the early nineties, my my father took over. So um, it's it's very much ingrained into my DNA. Uh, Rob Coleman, you're you're a tillage uh, farmer in North Cork. What's the, what's the biggest issue facing your business at the moment? Volatility is probably my answer, because if I think of the last 12 or 18 months in the business, volatility in the weather has definitely come in spades. You know, we're getting more extremes of both dry and wet, which has made managing the crops very, very difficult. Volatility in the markets in terms of what we're selling, uh, it has spiked. It's the opposite of what Shane was saying there. When the grain is costing him a fortune for his pigs, it's 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 helping us on our side. But then on the other side of that, our input prices have been a roller coaster and uh, the volatility on the price of our Costs has been very challenging in terms of our fuel, in terms of our fertilizer is a massive one, our, our um, chemicals that we use in the farm to try and grow our crops. Um, our, uh, our environmental volatility in terms of the, the rules are changing on us year on year. There seems to be challenges coming from places that we kind of traditionally didn't have them. The world is changing and we need to change with it. I know this is a, a business podcast, but I don't think you can speak about business without speaking about the environment nowadays. So um, there's challenges coming on the rule side there. Um, interest rates have changed dramatically in, in, in 12 or 18 months, depending on how a business is set up. So there's challenges there too. Um, so, so somewhere in there is, is a kind of a, a turbulent year to try and have stability and to trying to say you plan and, and, and you, you make forecasts and maybe you speak to your branch manager um, at the start of the year and 12 months later, it looks like you either were lying to him or maybe you were, you know, didn't know what you were talking about because the, the game has changed so much in such a short period of time. It has been, um, it has been a challenge across the board. So, so, you can pick any one of those for a chat, but you know that that's the general gist of what's happening here at the moment. Rob, you're a young man too. Why did you choose farming as a career? I suppose I'll give a similar answer to Shane, and and it's one of the best things about farming. It's also one of the worst. 
we do it mostly because we love it. I'm a very proud farmer. This is a family farm. My sister's farm. My brother also farms. My dad, he, he doesn't have enough hours in the day for farming. He, he works harder than anybody else. I know he's 76 and he, he falls asleep reading the Farmer's Journal in the evening. And um, that's kind of who we are more than what we do. It's kind of a way of life. Um, you can ask my girlfriend about that because in the past sort of two months, I'd say I've come to bed, you know, when she's been asleep and I'm up gone again in the morning before she's awake because it's been, it's been frantic because of whether we've had. So, um, to answer your question, I suppose um, it's definitely not for financial reasons. Um, we are, uh, we're sort of, um, we're, we're able to make do. There, there's a, I remember something from economics when I was in secondary school that the entrepreneur's earnings can sometimes be negative. And I sometimes laugh at it and I have to laugh at it because if you didn't laugh, you cry. That there's years where you can do your best inside the farm gate to get as much as you can right. And that's what we're like down here. We're very positive mindset. I don't like to be the whinging farmer on the radio. If you catch me at that now today, Kieran, you can give me a kick in the arse. But it's um it's been it's been tougher. It's been tougher to 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 kind of um to to make sure that when when what's inside the gate is right in terms of your efficiency of your operation, your machinery, there are things outside of your control that you're quite helpless against, uh, some of the things we've mentioned. So um, recent times has pushed those things maybe, you know, to, to extremes, which um, which means that if I wanted to make a lot of money, when I came out of university in 2006, I think it was, um, uh, the, or 2007, I went traveling for a little while, Dad uh, and me were on the phone and, and the price of grain had gone through the roof in 07 because of, I think, a big drought in America. And I thought to myself, oh, I've always been farming, always and ever, just, you know, we were just on the farm since we could walk, we could nearly drive. But uh, there was a good living at home at the time and there was, you know, price of grain was up. And I came home and got stuck in and, you know, the toing and froing between a father and a son with strong views on what they're doing and all that came. And the price of grain floored itself in 08 and again in 09. And there was some real tough years. And I realized at the end of those two years that for whatever reason I was at home, it definitely wasn't for money because they were they were tough times on every single grain farmer I know. And uh, I suppose in any walk of life, you need meaning in what you do. Otherwise, you're just taking home your paycheck. And there's fierce meaning in what we're doing here. Um, farmers can be more farmers than businessmen sometimes. Um, it, it's maybe to our detriment because I said at the start, a market needs a lack of supply to fix a price. When a price goes down, supply should shrink. Whereas Shane and I both know that we decide 12 months in advance of, or maybe longer in his case, I'm not sure about the big side of things, what crops are going in the ground. Um, we're, we're making a bet on the markets. We're making a bet on, on the weather. And uh, there's a sort of a hope for the best. So um it is uh, it is definitely a way of life and it's a labor of love. And I wouldn't do anything else. I think that the challenges in it can be ferocious, but but there's this huge meaning in overcoming those challenges. And there's a great sense of community. All the farmers I know love what they do, possibly a bit too much because we can't kind of step away from it. Very important, actually, in all of this, that in these kind of turbulent times with prices and weather and all the rest of it, that we keep in touch and we check in because... Uh, Every time a graph moves on a screen with the commodity traders, there's a family farm somewhere getting squeezed a bit or, or making money sometimes. It's, it's only fair to say both sides of that, um, that that as as environmental policy changes and things change, you see them on the news. That is income. That is that is that is farming income on, on the family farms of Ireland. Um, and I do think it's very hard to change somebody's wages in, in other jobs. It's very hard to take something from somebody, you know, if they're if they have a wage, whether in the public sector or in the private sector, but in farming. It, it seems to be something that, that changes an awful lot easier, whether through policy or whether through, you know, the markets. Yeah. And, and that's something you kind of have to stomach and you have to accept. Let's talk about climate change. There was an interesting article by Jeremy Clarkson, who, as everybody knows, is a celebrity farmer and he has his Amazon Prime show. He's put a spotlight on farming in Britain, I, I guess, uh, and probably in a good way for, for the sector. 
But he was saying that because of climate change, a lot of the farming that's taken place in the south of England has really changed. So people who are growing certain crops uh, find now that they can't grow those crops because of the change in the weather. Um, and they're now um, they're now all making wine. Now, obviously, uh, his column in the Sunday Times is prone to exaggeration and, and so forth. But um, th- there's probably something to that in the sense that uh, climate change is impacting on, on how you can farm and what crops you can uh, plant and how successful they are. Are you finding that? Okay, so so that volatility in the weather, that, that sort of, uh, the climate is definitely changing. We're not going to get into a, a climate change debate here and decide why, but in my short farming career, there's definitely more extremes of both. Um, even in the past sort of eight or nine months, we've had an extraordinarily wet October, November time where an awful lot of the winter crops usually go into the ground in the south of the country. Then we had an unseasonally dry February, followed by an exceptionally wet March, followed by a drought in, in, in May and June, and then we were crying out for rain. We came to harvest our crops and it started raining all the way through July. So so it is changing whether or not we can grow different crops. Jeremy is a very entertaining guy and, and love him or hate him. You're kind of drawn to see see what he's doing. I think he's definitely helping the, the PR battle that farmers are, are I think, losing in a, in a general trend across the world. Um, it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario, Kieran, if I can answer it that way. We can only grow what we can sell. The market kind of dictates to us what it wants and to change that takes a long time. You sort of need farming entrepreneurs to come along and say, okay, we need linseed, we need, you know, sunflowers, we need, you know, soybeans and other crops that, that we're not traditionally into growing. And then it takes an industry time to respond and adapt and to learn how you need a stable market for it in terms of a contract. They tried it with uh, Miscanthus before for energy crops and there was quite a push behind it, but very fickle thing with the change in the price of energy, it didn't get off the ground to any great success. So we need to be careful sort of saying that we can all jump in a different direction. Um, I don't think change should be too sudden in any part of the world. That I think slow, steady change in the right direction is the way to go. Um, we certainly need to be able to adapt. I think maybe, and this is a bit of a generalisation, farmers can be slightly slow to change. Um, that is probably a good thing because change is disruptive by its very nature. But over the course of time, as we not just have the traditional challenges of farming, but now we have these environmental and policy challenges in farming, some of the changes we've made here um, in terms of the environment and, and in terms of climate change, as you mentioned, have been sort of into a direction where a lot of farmers are kind of wo- woeful of it or sort of worried about it. We would be kind of embracing those changes a little bit before they happened. And some of the climate policy doesn't change or doesn't scare us as much because we're doing a lot of it anyway. We're trying to be very efficient with our inputs and we're trying to push our soil health as much as possible, which is a great resilience in the business. Because really, when all is said and done, we've got gear and we've got machines and we've got sheds and all kinds of things around here. But the fact is, everything we have comes from that soil. And if we mistreat that, our businesses, it does not have a bright future. And that's something that is maybe missed in general in farming because a lot of the discussions tend to be a long, long way from, from the very basics of it. Um, and, and that's kind of a focus we have to bring some resilience into that changing climate sort of scenario that you're talking about. And Rob, have you diversified some of your crops? What we've done is, um, so the market likes wheat and barley. We can sell oats um, to red mills for, for horses. So we've stuck with those main cereal crops. Our breaks are beans and oilseed rape, the rotation is extremely important because if you've good physical and biological health in your soil, you can be a lot sort of more efficient with your inputs when it comes to um, fertilising the crop and the way you grow it and and uh, moving the soil as well and cultivating, let the, the, the plants do the work. So when you have that situation, um, you, you kind of, um, what you do is, is you bring resilience, like we said, um, there's, uh, there's cover crops in this farm, which is a huge step forward for us. In between main crops, we grow 
a diverse mix of eight or nine species, which has a benefit to pollinators. A lot of them flower, and I have sunflowers here in North Cork through the winter time, where people ring up and say, "Rob, can we have some sunflowers?" And I'd say, "Absolutely, go in and help yourself." There's a great social benefit to that. Um, and what, what we've been able to do in in recent years is we've been able to graze those cover crops with sheep that we buy from from the west, and uh, they uh, they do two things: they help the land, they help the soil. Um, it's kind of an enterprise stacking in that regard, and um, they bring in some money. Um, only to have the rules change uh, recently to say that to graze a cover crop with sheep, you need uh, to have the equivalent amount of grassland next door to it. Now, any grain farmer with a 20 or 30 acre field, the chances of having 20 or 30 acres of grass next door to it are slim to none. So it more or less has kind of banned it out of the blue. And we're sort of saying, well, this is good for the land and we're responsible the way we do it. We don't damage the land. So there's that ever-changing rules that, that we're trying to duck and dive. I'm not sure is there an equivalent in other industries down in sort of Cork Harbour, where all the pharmaceutical industry is, do the rules change on them sort of year in, year out, based on what policy says? Um, it probably doesn't, because it's probably a lot harder to change the rules for other sectors of, of industry. Just, they, they just wouldn't stand for it. They have a bit more power. I think the power is slightly gone from the farmer there, Kieran. I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah. Shane, let's talk about climate change, because the agricultural sector is responsible, we're told, for over 38% of emissions in Ireland. There's a goal of reducing emissions in the sector by 25% by 2030, which a lot of uh, experts and commentators say simply isn't enough. Ireland won't be able to reach its own overall target if, unless agriculture uh, essentially does more. And we have um, some figures from the EPA showing that in agriculture emissions fell by 1.2% in 2022 because of a reduction in the use of artificial uh, nitrogen fertiliser. So just wondering in terms of your own business, because your business is quite uh, diversified. You have seven farms in Kerry and Offaly, as you've mentioned, and you do a range of things. I know it's mostly pigs, but you also have uh, cattle as well. And cattle are being fingered for uh, methane emissions. And we're told that really the national herd needs to be culled. What's, what's your uh, view on that? Well, I guess starting with, with the pigs, um, what we say in terms of our, of our mission statement is that we're guided by what we call the four P's. So the four pillars of sustainability. So you have pigs, planet, profit and people. So what we do is we aim to in, improve our increase our economic profitability through the improvement of productive output while maintaining high pig health and welfare and protecting environmental resources. And in terms of the pigs and, and, and climate change, well, first of all, Irish pork has the lowest carbon footprint in Europe. So, you know, we're not too far away from, from net zero pork. Um, in terms of, of um, manure and fertiliser, well, on our own farms, we don't use any chemical fertiliser because we have this supply of, of natural manure being the, the pig manure. And again, with that, you have to spread it with the low emission slurry spreading systems. Um, so this is reducing your ammonia emissions by 50%. Um, it's also retaining extra three units of nitrogen per about a thousand gallons of slurry. We use manure aeration as well, which is like injecting compressed air into our manure tanks. And this is reducing the ammonia by 50% and it's increasing the nutrient value of the manure that, that we deliver to other farmers to use on, on their fields. Um, our big issue is the diet. So we can only reduce our protein source, so our soya. We can only reduce that by about 20% or so and reduce emissions by 15% through diet formulation. But soya is the big problem. 
Um, it's a home. It's a protein that we have to get from North and South America. We don't have any homegrown proteins, and that goes back to what you know Rob just said there. And diversifying into other crops, I would love to see more homegrown proteins, um, but we 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 don't have the land for it. You know, we have gone into this dairy expansion over the last few years. You know, there's less tillage mm. ground. It's going into more grass production. That's a worry for me. Um, and again, you know, you, you asked Rob as well how he's diversifying, but even with our tillage system, this year we've grown rye as opposed to our traditional wheat and barley because it seems to be a lot more compatible with, with climatic extremes. Um, but again, we're, when we're looking at, at the, the the cow situation, I mean, there's so much that we can do. Um, you know, we need to have more uptake of the knowledge transfer program so that farmers can get that information on reducing their their um, carbon footprint, um, <clears throat> you know we see now with the new acres scheme, um, there's tens of thousands of farmers have signed up for it. But you know the output from that, what your advisor tells you, is only recommendations. So you're not obliged to actually follow out these um, changes. It's just a recommendation. Um, <clears throat> and sorry, there's a lot of lack of joined up thinking within government and government schemes because I've only noticed this recently because I had I had advisor training for the acre scheme and you're scored on the ecological diversity in your field. And two, three years ago we had the REAP scheme, the Rural Environmental Agri Pilot, and we were paid to reseed with multi-species grassland. So again, less nitrogen is needed, uh, increased crops for pollinators and so on. And now those farms that have gone directly from the REAP scheme into the acre scheme, they're actually getting a score of zero for those fields that they thought that they were doing good two or three years ago to reseed to multi-species. So there really is a lot of joined up thinking. Um, there's a lot more that we could be doing. Um, my background specifically is in animal health and welfare. Um, and, and we know that healthy animals are more efficient. You know, so there's so much there that, that we can be looking at um, in terms of the use of animal vaccines. Shane, can I ask you, though, because um, the UK was a big market for you, wasn't it, for uh, your, your pig exports? And that disappeared post-Brexit. You're now filling that gap, as I understand it, uh, by selling to China. Um, so that can't be doing much for our carbon footprint. Well, our carbon footprint is from um, from birth to bacon. So it doesn't, you know, your your carbon footprint doesn't look at anything else. So, I mean, beef, Irish beef, for example, goes all over the world. But the carbon footprint is just looking at the production of beef. So where, where does that carbon footprint then for the transport uh, of that beef um, to various countries around the world, as you say, uh, where is that captured? That's captured. That would be in the in the transport sector, you know. So ships, um, aviation, anything that's shipping um, food products around the world, but that wouldn't be accounted for in terms of a, a livestock production system. I think you're actually after you know probably intentionally coming across something that that sort of stands glaring in in the in the climate change debate that there's no carbon tax 
uh, or even, you know, text full stop on ocean liner fuel or aviation fuel, which does sort of, you know, get people asking, well, hold on a second now, if you want to reduce the carbon footprint of anything, the closer to home you can get something, grow something and eat it from a food point of view, the better it is. So, so you know, this kind of... Um, we, we are here growing grain and we're up against everybody in the world. The results of globalization means that the cheapest man in the world gets the job. The milling industry in Ireland is gone because, it, you know, they can do it cheaper in Eastern Europe and, and the boat comes in and fixes it. But there's no sort of um, economic value put on, on the environmental cost of things. So if that was something that, that was kind of looked at more closely, maybe it would give the people in Ireland who are doing things at a first world standard in terms of the amount of regulation and the amount of things we do here and the things we're not allowed to use to grow our stuff is sold on the exact same marketplace with places in the world with no regulation at all, no accountability for what's used on the crops. And here we are selling on the same supermarket shelves. So, so there's definitely holes in that system. And maybe coming back to what Shane said is that politically, sure, there's a new government every four years and how much any one person is responsible for long-term kind of direction of the business. We're here sort of going in different directions depending on what minister comes along and how, how how the public pressure is um you know public pressures is a great thing the public you know that's democracy the public decides but we are definitely in a situation now where the the, the population is in the city and they used to be one generation removed from the countryside they had aunts and uncles or maybe they were from a farm themselves and there was some sort of a connection now we're maybe second generation removed from the farm and the connection to where the food comes from or the traditions of the country or what goes on in rural ireland uh, is definitely removed and people are getting their information maybe on social media and there's very strong views about food and I think the farmers need to be more progressive in in fighting those battles we go on the radio when there's a problem and we give out and say mm. oh, leave us alone you know but we need to be better we need a PR agency or something to stand up and say look there's great good uh, news stories in farming there's great environmental farmers there's people who are passionate about these things and we only ever get the PR of oh there was a cast scandal recently and there was terrible things shocking to farmers more than anybody And but they picked the worst of the worst and there was no story to balance it out there was a kind of a lean towards the negative for kind of more more impact i suppose i do think farmers are losing that battle and 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 things like what you're bringing up there on the shipping and the distance nobody says anything about that that just carries on and and, and it should be looked at absolutely should yeah but Shane, i suppose there's no getting away from the fact that the agriculture sector is responsible for 38 percent of our emissions and we have to deal with it that's a that's a reality isn't it so wearing your your advisor hat do you think the the goal of reducing emissions for agriculture by 25 percent by 2030 is that realistic is it going to happen well i think it's 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 in the government's hands and what they want to do and if they want to be effective and have more joined up thinking like another big thing at the moment which is happening on pig farms is that we're getting grants to install solar pv panels now the funding from the department of agriculture will give grant aid for installations up to 62 kilowatt however your average pig farm has potential sufficient roof space to install 1,500 kilowatts of PV panels. So not only would a pig farm be able to meet their own supply, they'd actually be able to become a significant electricity generator to the national grid. And you're wondering, well, why are we only being granted to install 62 kilowatts? So why, I mean, in your view, why is that? I don't know. I really don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, It really, really doesn't. And there's so many other things in that area, biogas, um, you know, anaerobic digest. There's a lot of yeah. things that, that make sense. But... And no doubt the government has, has a role to play in helping agriculture reduce its emissions. But just going back to the question, do you think that goal of reducing emissions for the sector by 25% by 2030 will be achieved? Probably not, if I'm dead honest. No, I don't think so. Um, no, I, I don't think it will. 
Will we be close to it, Shane, or will we be miles off? I think we'll be close to it. Uh, but I welcome what Rob thinks about that as well. My own opinion there, Kieran, is that um, there's no doubt uh, change is happening, but it's happening in, in small places. I'm a member of Base Ireland or kind of environmental farmers group. And there's lads taking their own responsibility and they're changing dramatically what they're doing in terms of um, how efficiently they're farming, in terms of carbon, in terms of this, just the amount of fertiliser used. Fertiliser is a huge one in all of this. The problem we have in, in agriculture is because it's it's very tight margins that anybody who's got a business that's doing okay to change it is is quite disruptive. So if we're looking at your, your dairy farm does get an awful lot of PR in, in this regard and it's often negative that there are huge steps being made even outside of the base group we had a, a big um we call it a, a convention there in, in the summertime and the people who came along actually were, were talking nearly better than what we were talking about the subjects as guys have changed their their grazing platform and and it's it's kind of slowly changing i think we're at a tipping point where it's going to take off not just because it's environmentally better but it's actually more profitable farming so there are solutions there they're not well known but they are getting developed if you can picture the existing farming system is there 30 40 50 years and it's getting more and more perfected now these new things have come along and they're only three or four years old and their potential is being realized slowly but if you said okay we're going to fine you now for the amount of you know fertilizer you use that's using the stick but imagine if we said okay we'll, we'll pay you something for for putting 10 acres of the multi-species in over there and red clover silage which will actually grow great crop of silage high protein at very at no artificial fertilizer at all um let's say well, what's that oh geez i don't know about that but okay well i'm getting paid to grow 10 acres of it and then two years down the line he said well look hang on a second that that was that was a great crop we know how to grow that now we don't need our payment anymore we'll start implementing it like a, like a, a 10 acre scheme where just one field lads everybody does one field just so these things aren't daunting and scary to us so we can try them and we can so the guys who are changing are kind of the more progressive guys the guys who are kind of not afraid to maybe have a go but yeah. it, it's the it's the more traditional element this is true in any business change is disruptive and how you manage that change is crucial and i don't know if if the department and the government and the farmers are able to sit down and have a real good chat about it so that any change that comes along the farmer could say hold on now that's going to be very difficult financially even if there's something in that give us a chance to start getting down that road um, and and you'll even see farmers doing it on their own without the government at the moment but to have the real big change that you're talking about there by 2030 uh, I think more thought and more effort needs to go into the cooperation between the two not just the interested parties the ag industry you know the merchants everybody the farmers themselves and the government without the middlemen because that's that's where it's won and lost on the ground Yeah like I would totally echo what, what Rob said there and even personally i saw this myself locally um i'm involved with two local tidy towns and i i, I think t- working with tidy towns is important because both as farmers and, and groups we're very focused on sustainability and climate action and biodiversity so i applied for funding th- through the local authority water program community fund to give out free trees to local farmers to plant on their riparian margins to help protect water quality in our local area and I was stunned with the huge number of farmers that, that came forward, mainly nearly all dairy farmers that took hundreds of trees each to plant on their riparian margins. And this is just a simple measure that they're doing. And it, it's, it's you know, effectively, it's sure. not really being recognised by, by the government or anything like that. But that's just an example of how farmers are doing their own thing. Sure. And those elements are all very important uh, as part of the mix. But I, I guess there's a, a nettle that needs to be grasped, uh, Shane, around... Uh, the number of cattle we have in the country and the amount of methane that they uh, belch out. I know you have, um, you breed your own cattle, don't you, uh, on, on yeah. your farms. So what's the solution in in terms of our cattle herd? Because I think we have something like 7 million cattle um, on the island. 
And there, you know, again, there are calls, and I, I think even the government has floated a proposal to call some of that herd. What's your view? Well, again, you know, I'm going back to what I said with, with animal health. If we have improved animal health, we'll have much more efficient animals. So we really need to ensure that, that farmers are getting involved with herd health plans, using vaccines. We, we should really see the, the vaccine rate. But is that going to be enough? Well, it, like, it'll help. But I mean, again, with the farming schemes, you know, it's important that farmers um, get involved with the likes of our suckler carbon efficiency program. All of these will help animals become more efficient. Um, so, I mean, that that's a big thing. And again, you will find that there's a lot of cattle out there which are not productive in terms of, of efficiency. They, they, they have a, you know, they're not as efficient as other cows would be. So we should call them? Personally, I think so. Yeah. How many are we talking about, Shane? Oh, that's, I, I, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but, you know, that is, that, that, that is what I think that, that we need to have an increased uptake with all these different suckler cow and beef schemes, the dairy beef welfare scheme, all of these. And again, that'll all help to improve our sustainability of our, our, um, of our bovines. And Shane, we're told that dairy farming, or sorry, beef farming in Ireland isn't, is essentially uh, loss making for a lot of uh, farmers and a lot of farmers are only doing it uh, part time. And obviously a lot of that beef gets exported. So is that something we really should be, we should still be in in a big way? Well, personally, I'd like to see more diversification. Um, Forestry, you know, it does take all the right boxes, except there's, I mean, there's huge problems in that sector. Um, we're seeing that our, our planting is at the lowest it's ever been. We're seeing huge problems with the ash dieback scheme. I mean, the, the forestry program is, is very much a failed policy. And you cannot expect farmers to go out and plant land when there's when there's all these huge problems. Like the way to get um, a planting license, the, the way to get a harvesting license. I mean, it's 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 just insane. Uh, we thin some forestry. Sorry, I applied for thinning a thinning license for some forestry. And I was waiting almost three years for a license because the the department just don't have the resources. They don't have the ecologists. Um. So. There really needs to be a, a massive overhaul of the forestry system to make it attractive for farmers because it is, you know, it is a, a, a box that will, um, you know, there's a lot of boxes there in forestry that, that will be ticked if we look at, at planting forestry, especially on some of these lands which are currently being farmed by sucklers, which are, are not really efficient and, and don't generate a sustainable income for farmers. Guys, it's been a really interesting conversation. I would just like to close it out by asking you both to look into your crystal ball. Look out 10 years. Do you think you'll still be farming? And what mix of farming will you be doing if you are? Rob, I might start with you. Ciarán, can I have a crack off the last question very briefly before I give my answer? Um, I think there's a small thing there in the carbon accounting system that needs to be pointed out every single chance we get. That carbon accounting system is quite an oversimplified way of measuring so that everybody can just say, oh, carbon, good or bad. And it came from fossil fuels being burnt. There was carbon in the ground and we burn it and up it goes into the atmosphere. Every bit of methane that comes from cattle not including now what goes in the fertiliser industry. That's separate. That needs to look. And the, the fossil fuels we burn to farm, that's separate. But when a cow eats carbon from the grass, the grass has come out of the air. So there was never a, a facility in that carbon accounting system to take into account that the carbon was taken out of the atmosphere to go back into the atmosphere. One is cyclical. 
and and the stuff in fossil fuels is a one-way valve it just comes out it never goes back in so when you ask me about the future of farming we are one of the few sectors that has huge potential to take in carbon to sequester carbon now it's only a recent phenomenon everyone's environmental conscience is growing and so it's like likewise in farming so there's there's opportunities there so if you ask me what i'm going to be doing in 10 years I'll be here in Castle Magna doing my absolute best to be a responsible environmental farmer and I'll have to be profitable. There's no farming without profit. You'll be fine for a year or two, but it'll be gone in the morning if there isn't money out of it. That's a harsh reality for any young person looking at farming. There's great young men and women coming out of universities. I meet them and they ask me questions about cover crops and compost. And I'm saying, where are these people coming from? This is so encouraging to say that this is the future of farming. But if you're looking at a well-qualified person coming out of university at 22 or 3 years of age and they're starting a job in Dublin, 30, 35, 40 grand or wherever they're going from there, to go home to farm is a financial decision that is a very difficult one. It's done out of emotion. It's done out of tradition. It's done out of love of the job. It's a way of life. And 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 the, the hours that you work and, and you need a very understanding partner, girlfriend, boyfriend in this in this sector – that, 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 is, that is a whole separate thing to, I'm coming out of college and I'm going to make money and I'm going to go into the world and make progress. Farming doesn't have the same set of rules there. So it is something that, that needs to be looked after. The culture in the countryside needs to be looked after. We love what we do. And actually, we're, we are the environmentalists because we are. St- when Shane mentioned all the farmers who came to get the trees, my dad could tell you the name of every single species of tree we have in the whole farm. He loves it. He lives it. Every single bird. As we've dropped the aphocyte here in the farm in the last four or five years, we've seen the insect population change, which has changed the bird population, which is all these ecological repercussions. And that's only in four or five years. Yeah. So in 10 or 50 years of time, I'm looking forward to the opportunities that are coming. As long as we get given the chance by the government to do these things um, that isn't going to be hugely disruptive policy changes that is poorly thought out without enough discussion so that we can work with the department and with the government and with the public, get the public on board, turn and marry these things up so there's a, there's a brighter future for what is a fantastic country to farm in, even though it has challenges that we spoke about. There's huge opportunities. I'm very positive about the future. Shane, can I ask you to look 10 years out? Yeah, again, look, when we're looking at our, our future outlook, we know the protein consumption is going to grow across the world. So we need to feed all these extra millions of people, but we have to do it more sustainably. So continue what we're doing, improving our um, economic output, maintaining our high herd health and welfare, the use of technology to um, to reduce our emissions, just basically keep what we're doing. But again, what Rob said, have that joined up thinking with all stakeholders. All right, Shane McAuliffe and Rob Coleman, thank you for joining Inside Business. Pleasure. Thanks for speaking to us here. Thank you so much. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Shane McAuliffe and Rob Coleman for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode of Inside Business with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.